This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Everything is about money. I think this is sad. The words of IX manager Alfred Schroeder amid reports Manchester United are on the cusp of prizing Antony from the Dutch club for a staggering 100 million euros. I'm Heath Pierce filling in for LME, and I'm joined by Jonathan Johnson to discuss the latest mega Premier League transfer in a summer window full of mega Premier League transfers in a summer window. It's been wild. Plus, we'll be analyzing what we've witnessed so far from the top five leagues this weekend. Kay Golasso begins right now. JJ, now before we get into it, it's been a wild uh, summer so far. We're going to get into this weekend's results. But let's start with how you're doing and also uh, Anthony to Manchester United. So first, how you doing, man? Doing very well, thanks. Welcome back onto the show. It's been a while. I know I've uh, been missing your cheese pizza quips uh, all summer long. So delighted we're finally getting this uh, this one-to-one time, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Well, obviously, I'm a, I'm a little bit rusty uh, because I went through and just kept reading the same line over and over again in my introduction. But I'm doing good now. I'm settling in. You know what I mean? It's like getting that first pass right in the match where it's like you want to connect that first pass, then you settle into the match. And uh, hopefully this goes a little bit better than my words so far. But let's talk about uh, Anthony to Manchester United. You know, um, David Ornstein and Fabrizio reporting that it's a hundred million euro deal that the deal is essentially done. I mean, what's your take on this, especially in a, a a year like this where we haven't seen sort of massive transfers happening like we've seen in years past? Yeah, I mean, my first uh, thoughts, honestly, um, I'm not sure Anthony is worth that kind of money. Um, I don't think that he is necessarily a Manchester United player, but what is a Manchester United player these days, uh, you know, judging by sort of the standards of recent seasons? So if United want to go and blow that sort of money, uh, on somebody like Anthony. I mean, he's a, he's a talent, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, and it doesn't surprise me that, that you know, with all due respect to Ajax, that some of the, the bigger clubs in Europe have been looking at him. But at that price, I think it's only really a desperate club, uh, you know, that stumps up that kind of money. And United, despite their form picking up in the last couple of matches, you know, they won uh, this weekend. Uh, beating Liverpool as well was sort of an early turning point in, in Ten Hag's tenure. Uh, you know, I, I still feel that there is a, a, a massive sense of desperation around there. You know, they've got the shadow of uh, CR7 looming large. And, you know, for me, I think I, it doesn't surprise me the way that Anthony has handled this, you know, because, you know, a kind of move like this doesn't come around, you know, that often. So it doesn't surprise me to see him pushing for it. But 
I'm I'm unconvinced that he is really the kind of player that United should be spending a hundred million on, and I kind of feel like this is more indicative of you know just how poorly uh, you know their transfer window was uh, planned out. Really, I mean, I don't know how you uh, how you feel about it. I mean, obviously it sucks for Ajax; they've lost so many star talents, uh, you know, this summer. They're always kind of like in a perennial sense of rebuild, but it does. I, I can I can understand why Schroeder is so frustrated. You know, this late in the transfer window, you know, losing another uh, key piece, but also at the same time, I mean, for you, maybe speaking from experience, when you've seen like a teammate, uh, you know, who wants away. I mean, surely it's better to you know to get that kind of poisonous uh, influence out of the squad because he's made it very clear. You know, he doesn't want to be there in Amsterdam yeah. anymore. Yeah, and obviously he signed a five-year deal, which I believe runs uh, for another three years or so. So the valuation of him exists where 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 Ajax still hold all of the cards, but hundred million, I just don't see. Even in the peak of 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 insane transfers, it was always hard to justify that that type of price tag for any player, right? Let alone a player who had a fantastic year last year and obviously very good in the Champions League shows that he can play uh, at the highest level, but to come in. The conversion on that and the pressure on that to, to convert that into some sort of hundred million euro result or 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 output just seems nearly impossible. Plus, for a player like that, I'm I'm thinking from the Manchester United side. Now, if it wasn't a Tin Hog who had worked with him, who has this belief in like this guy is going to be it, and it's just going to cost us much money, I would say it feels desperate. But clearly, uh, Ten Hog feels like he needs this player, right? Like, but I mean, what's where does he go in, in in your opinion into this lineup and 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 how what kind of output do you think is successful like if you were to, if you were to remove the price tag i mean what would he have to do to to be able to take manchester united from where they are yes they've grinded out their last two results and and they've seen a turnaround and tin hog said now the players know what it's going like what it takes to get results um in the premier league but uh, what kind of output do you think is going to actually take this team from where they are now to being essentially a top 6 or a top 4 team I mean, honestly, I think when you're paying that kind of money, I think it's reasonable to expect from from an attacking talent like him, uh, you know, somebody who's able to score and create goals, you know, that he's sort of breaking into double figures in at least one of, you know, the the, the two categories that he can. And, you know, to be honest, I, I really think that they should be expecting him to, you know, return sort of double figures in both over the course of a season. Perhaps do you think his, that's like a Hazard, like Hazard type years, Coutinho type year? I mean, do you think it needs to be at that upper end of like pushing towards top scorer, pushing towards assists or somewhere in the middle of that? I mean, 100 million is insane. Yeah, but so much of this now depends on what happens with Ronaldo. We're ticking into the last few days of the transfer window. And despite so many of the rumors, so much noise, it doesn't seem like there is like an obvious destination at this moment in time for the Portuguese superstar. So, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, what Anthony's role might be for for United will be dictated by how that attack, uh, you know, looks, whether it has Ronaldo in it, whether it doesn't. Because if it doesn't, then, you know, I think that there's a much better opportunity for somebody like an Anthony to come in for Ten Hag to uh, you know really form the attack in the way that he wants to with the players that he trusts and there will probably be more uh, you know more productive but you know if Ronaldo stays I mean honestly I cannot see the situation changing that much uh, around United if he's there sort of uh, you know, sulking sort of in and out of the team. You know, everybody knows that he he wants to go somewhere where he can be playing Champions League football. Uh, you know, so I think it's now imperative that, you know, 
assuming that United do get this deal for Anthony over the line, uh, you know, that they also get a deal over the line, which sees Cristiano Ronaldo go somewhere else, because that will make Ten Hag so much job, his job so much easier in accommodating Anthony and, and actually enable, uh, you know, him to, you know, to be able to bed in properly, find his feet and, you know, start returning on that massive transfer fee pretty quickly. Because, you know, let's not forget, this is a United squad that still has a lot of attacking talent there. You, you Jaden Sancho obviously scored against uh, Liverpool. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Martial, I know, who looked at, you know, pretty sharp in, uh, in preseason. So, you know, there are guys with a lot of talent that can be tapped into and, and better utilised. Uh, and I think sort of CR7 moving on is kind of key to that. Now, I don't know how you feel about, you know, whether Cristiano Ronaldo can be potentially compatible with somebody like Anthony and the other attacking talents that Ten Hag has at his disposal. But for me, it feels like a bit of a useless exercise if Ronaldo isn't going to be moved on. Yeah, I agree with you. And it almost it feels like this transfer, this type of money or spending is going to be potentially the the the, the tool needed for Ten Hag to, to move Cristiano on of saying, hey, we've spent all this on this. The team is moving on. We're in a new era. We need to be able to move on from this as opposed to, we all know, the Ronaldo Man United caters to the way Ronaldo plays and his output can be fantastic, but it mostly everything has to funnel through him. So call to action for all of you live viewers. Is Anthony worth the money? And obviously we had a, a few points in here, JJ, about, uh, you know, Sinistera being signed for a quarter of the price and his output was better than Anthony in, in, in the Erie Divisi. We also have just the fact that like you're only worth what somebody's willing to pay for you. And if somebody's willing to pay for you, it's not your fault as a player, right? He wants to move because you're going from Ajax to Manchester United. It's in theory, a bigger move for you. So it's not necessarily on him. The market dictates these types of these types of chances. Although I think the market has cooled off quite a bit. We're in like a bordering on a global recession. So this type of money certainly feels like, you know, somebody going for what they want and willing to pay what they have to. But do you think that this has anything to do with maybe forcing the hand of Ronaldo moving out and the fact that you've now invested heavily into this? You've also got Ilanga, another player that could find themselves deeper, that has a lot of potential, that's getting more minutes. I mean, where do you? how do you think this actually shapes up in terms of Ten Hag and Manchester United forcing, uh, almost forcing this transfer at an astronomical sum? Yeah, I mean, I, I I do kind of feel like there is uh, sort of kind of like a power play element to it, uh, you know, because it is a sign that, right, United are backing Ten Hag, um, you know, and they will ultimately probably cede to, to, to Ronaldo's desire to, to go and play Champions League football as well. Um, I mean, obviously doesn't necessarily sort of paint the club in the healthiest of lights right now, but I ultimately think they'll be in a better place for it if, uh, you know, both of those things happen because I think it's important for them to bet back Ten Hag uh, as he's trying to, you know, not just overhaul United as a team on the pitch, but sort of overhaul the culture surrounding the team, you know, getting them, you know, to to think more proactively, you know, basically just creating a more healthy environment uh, around the squad and getting them focused on uh, on playing football again. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that the the size uh, of this transfer is definitely designed to, to, you know, to sort of push Ronaldo to to the exit door at, uh, at Old Trafford in, in many ways. And let's not forget as well, you know, Anthony is coming in at a major cost in terms of the transfer fee, but his his salary won't be the same level as, as Cristiano Ronaldo. So assuming that United can get CR7 off the books, uh, you know, there will be some kind of financial balancing act there, uh, you know, that, that sees, you know, United take less of a hit than, than they would if, uh, you know, Ronaldo stayed and was eating up a massive salary and 
Anthony was added to this group. So, you know, I definitely think that it is, uh, you know, now going to be a very interesting last few days of the transfer window with regards to what happens to Ronaldo because it's almost like giving him the green light to, you know, to go and make a move somewhere else. It's whether, you know, that potential club that could provide the landing spot for him can make the space available. Yeah, it's space and it's also finances as as we've continued to see a lot of uh, teams looking to put it on Manchester United, knowing that the leverage is on on all the other clubs to say, hey, we'll take them, but you're going to have to eat up some of the salary. You're going to have to take on or bear some of the responsibility of the of, of, of your own actions. So let's move on now uh, to the Wolves-Newcastle match. Obviously, uh, JJ, I know that you were watching um, a different match perhaps, but there were two absolute bangers in this one. And Newcastle almost coming from behind, hitting the bar late in the match. Uh, but a really controlled game at home for Wolves that led to, uh, you know, them looking comfortable, but ultimately Newcastle almost finding their way back in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, both sides, I guess, will be content with a point at the end of the day, considering that on paper, this this looked quite like quite a tricky match for, for both sides. Obviously, Newcastle being the new money, well, new money aside from Nottingham Forest. Uh, and, you know, Wolves have kind of come back into a bit of form, you know, after dropping off, uh, you know, for, for a little while, especially last season. I know that, uh, you know, some uh, amongst us were expecting them to maybe even be battling relegation this season. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, it was a, a really interesting match to, to kind of follow while I was watching the, the Villa one. I mean, I have seen the goals. I haven't sort of seen the the match and been able to pick it apart in too fine a detail. But uh, you know, fantastic uh, from Alan San Maximin uh, again to save the point for for Newcastle. And you know, the guy is is just a, a joy to watch. You know, he's he's box office. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talent on display in this match. And you know, I'm I'm happy as well for Gonzalo Gage. Somebody who I saw move to PSG from Benfica a few years ago, didn't work out from in Paris, ended up moving on to Valencia. And as we know, Valencia is kind of a bit, one of those kind of weird projects where you don't really know, uh, you know, how the club is going to get back to the heights that they want scaled. Uh, you know, so to see him in the Premier League, finding his feet quite quickly, uh, you know, that's encouraging because I think that could make a huge difference for Wolves. And obviously there's a lot of speculation that Kaladzic might join from Stuttgart between now and the end of the transfer window. So, uh, you know, I think there's two teams, you know, with the makings of having, you know, some very interesting seasons individually uh you know and i think ultimately the the draw was probably the the fair result i don't know if you uh had have any uh have, have any views on that whether you feel that uh jimenez's uh ruled out goal was uh was just or unjust yeah i mean it's it's yeah yeah it's a, that's a very good question uh in terms of the just or unjust I, I, what what i want to what i want to quickly touch on though with regard to that matchup there is obviously the uh, club record signing of Alexander Isak. Um, your take on the addition he could be. Obviously, this is a player that started at Dortmund under all the hype, couldn't find his feet there, then goes to Real Sociedad, does quite well there. Still, uh, I think he's 22, 23, or 22 years old. You know, what's what's your take on, on, on his ability to now um, provide something different for this team? Because if you looked at uh, St. Maximin, obviously on the dribble was what was is kind of a, a runaway train at times, but is able to score his first goal since the beginning of, of the of the year. I think it was January was his last goal or something like that. Now you have somebody who's a proven goal scorer that brings a different dynamic, but also that speed that you want in the attack. I mean, what's your take on this signing in terms of how he's going to be able to contribute? 
Yeah, I mean, Isaac, I think is you know is definitely a, a sort of an investment for the future. I mean, I I rate him. I think that he has a lot of uh, as yet untapped potential, and obviously we've seen flashes of brilliance from him as well. Not only at club level, but also at international level as well. You know, he he did look very bright for Sweden in Euro twenty twenty. I feel like it's a lot, um, especially given that sort of statistically, when you're looking at the season that he had with Sociedad, it wasn't particularly that impressive. Uh, you know, but then again, he is somebody who has you know, a fair amount of experience for somebody so young. You know, he's been around, he's experienced a couple of different big club environments. Yeah. Uh, you know, and his numbers important. weren't huge last year, by the way. Year before, he had a fantastic season, 17 goals to assist in La Liga. But last year, only six goals to assist, if, I, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, you know, Newcastle's view on making this deal is that they're investing in someone who has shown that he has, uh, you know, long-term potential. He's not like a flash in the pan, somebody who just had one good season and they're buying him off the back of that. So I guess it's almost more encouraging in that way that they're not just basing this uh, this tra- this purchase on what they saw from him last season. He's the, he's somebody that they feel is fitting their vision for the future, how they're going to put that team together. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see sort of how it plays out once, you know, they have all of their their strikers fit and available to Eddie Howe, uh, you know, and I I think that Newcastle are forming a, a very very good competitive squad, uh, you know, with some fantastic players who you know at some point in the near future are going to be knocking on the door of Europe. I don't know if it will be immediately this season, but obviously I think that they will not be flirting at the wrong end of the table as they were last campaign. But for me, I think that you know this. This is this moment for Newcastle now is about putting the building blocks in place for them to be really competitive uh, next season and definitely getting themselves uh, into Europe. I'm not saying that it won't happen this season because obviously they have players of the you know of the, of the necessary caliber to get themselves into continental competition. But it's a long season. Let's see how it plays out. But I don't know if you feel that Newcastle are, are almost kind of there in terms of having the squad to to compete for you know at least maybe Europa League qualification already. Yeah, I feel like maybe they're off the pace of that. But as you said, building for the future, I think, is an important sign, one for the fans. And it's not just about uh, the results today, but it's about, hey, we're building this thing up. This is going to be a multi-year build uh, until we can get uh, Newcastle back to what we feel was was the glory days in terms of the, the the product they put on the field and their ability to compete for a European spot. And then hopefully in Europe at that point. Let's let's talk quickly on, on, on Villa West Ham. Obviously, your your Aston Villa uh, gave the Hammers their first goal of the season four games into the year and uh, end up dropping all three points against West Ham, who get that W. Um, what was your overall takeaway in this game from, from the Villa side as well as what you saw from West Ham? Well, yeah, obviously Villa are going to be the team that give, uh, you know, a winless side their first points of the season. So I wasn't surprised in that respect. Uh, to me, ultimately, uh, it's very disappointing. I won't, I won't bore you with too many of the details right now, but it just feels like something is definitely, um, you know, not right at Villa. Uh, I don't think that's all necessarily down to Steven Gerrard. I feel like it's more like a, a club directional kind of thing. Um, you know, and I think Villa definitely are in a difficult situation now. They've got a tough run of games coming up. I don't see the results picking up uh, and you know there's sort of player discontent uh, you know within the squad it doesn't bode well for Gerard. so I'm interested to see sort of how Villa react uh, especially given that you know you probably wouldn't expect many if any points uh, in the in the coming games so uh, you know I think that gets the monkey off the back for, for West Ham and they'll probably start to pick up points and form now for Villa it's feels pretty bleak at this moment in time 
Wow, yeah. And we're going to get to some other uh, Premier League results and just the importance of, of early season points here in a little bit. But let's talk about uh, Celtic joining Liverpool on cloud nine. You see what uh, our producer Des did there uh, in terms of... Uh, working He's a Brian with, Adams with, fan. Yeah, we're working, with, <laughs> working with numbers in such a creative way. But, you know, Dundee United get thrashed. Uh, greatest margin of victory on the road uh, for for that that Celtic were able to come with. Obviously, Liverpool as well, just putting a beating up. I think that ties the record for largest uh, goal margin, but also I think the first half goals, it was like 6-0 or something like that. For Celtic specifically, the, the, the theme is always, yeah, but they don't do well in Europe, right? Do you think that there's maybe something... Uh, different about this team or is this a one-off isolated result i mean could it could it be a better year for them they obviously open up uh against real madrid who you know are our only are only fall victim to Shakhtar Donetsk when it comes to uh uh opening uh <laughs> opening matches in the in the champions league yeah i mean it's uh it, it's a good point i mean having sampled celtic park on a european night it is a really special atmosphere and i think now um you know they certainly seem to have a team that kind of is um is worthy uh you know of, of that kind of backing when they go into europe uh, i'm really impressed with what postacoglu's managed to to achieve with this team so far how he's managed to turn the club around especially at the time when rangers looked so far ahead and now that gap it's not quite as obvious despite rangers getting to the europa league final last season uh kyogo i'm i'm a big fan of his i think it's only a matter of time before some bigger european clubs come knocking uh, and try and prize him away uh and i think as well you know bringing in that kind of new talent celtic you know moved away from kind of going to like sort of like your your journeyman british uh you know players who have you know perhaps fallen out of favor in the Premier League, not quite good enough for that, or, you know, wanted to try something that was maybe a little more glamorous than sort of mid-table in the championship. They've gone for new talent and suddenly there's, you know, a vibrancy to this uh, to this Celtic side, certainly more so than the last couple of Celtic teams we saw in Europe before, you know, things really started to suffer from a, a major downturn. So do I think that they can put off a shock in this group? I'm not necessarily sure, but I, I think that they could fight for third place and to, to drop into the Europa League, which is probably more realistic for the likes of Celtic and Rangers to be targeting at the moment, as Rangers showed last season. But no, I mean, I feel like this team, uh, you know, has some real sort of like... Um, not necessarily hidden gems because obviously we're talking about them, but sort of you know players who I think a lot of people are going to discover uh, during the during the Champions League group stage once it kicks off in a yeah. week or so's time. I don't know how you kind of feel about this new generation of Celtic talent, but for me it seems like the sort of the most exciting Celtic side that has probably you know emerged in at least ten years. Well, yeah, I think that the, the Rangers Celtic rivalry. Uh, in terms of battling for first place, if you look at those teams, it's first or failure, right? When it comes to 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 winning the Scottish League, and now that that competition is back, it seems like both clubs have had to go a little bit deeper to say what's our actual philosophy. Like you said, we can't just have the fallout of Premier League players or big names or or mid table players um, that that want to come over and and be part of this project. We need to actually start building a little bit more of a competitive team and kind of change the way that they play. So I certainly think that's brought out the best in terms of. Go, going with different signings, which is a risk, but seems to be paying off um, so far. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we've got uh, three talking points from Saturday. We've got a little bit of Arsenal talk, and we've got our final thoughts uh, with you, JJ, as you head out to the Park to Princess. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Golasso Pod. And just a reminder, Paramount Plus is the only place to stream every minute of every Serie A match and you can quickly and easily sign up for your very own account right now with a free one-month trial by going to ParamountPlus.com forward slash Italy. Just click the Try It Free button. You just click that and uh, use the promo code Italy for instant access to the best Italian club soccer available across all of your devices. Visit ParamountPlus.com forward slash Italy and start streaming today. Now, JJ, back into it a little bit. We're going to have three talking points from Saturday. Uh, and obviously, I want to get your take if, if you have some talking points outside of the realms of this. Is, but this is the parameters that we've set so far. Roma getting that point in, in Turin. Um, obviously, we continue to see the Italian or Serie A be a wide open league. I don't believe there's anybody that's that's perfect on the campaign. I believe everybody's given up points so far three matches into the season. But Roma snatching a point in Turin. How important is that for, for, for their quest? But also, and just sort of the leveling uh, of the start of the season for Serie A. I'm not entirely surprised by this result because I predicted before the season started that I thought Roma would probably close the gap on some of the some of the stronger teams in the league and make a, a better fist of trying to get into the into the Champions League spots, tip them for Coppa Italia success as well. So we'll see how that one plays out. But I think Jose Mourinho's pragmatism uh, is really coming to the fore. I mean, admittedly against a Juve side that you know, are not at their best so far this season. I still think that they'll pick up faster than they did last campaign, Juve. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, missing, you know, new key players like Angel Di Maria doesn't help. Uh, I know Rabio picked up an injury as well, despite the fact that Allegri tried to move him on. So, you know, Roma, I think, as long as they can avoid defeats in those kind of games, that's what's going to allow them to stay in touch and potentially, you know, remain competitive for, for Champions League qualification, which I think has to be the aim now if, if Mourinho is to push on this uh, this this Roma project, but I'm going to flip it around for you. I mean, do you think that, you know, Juve are in danger, um, you know, this, this season, because we've seen Allegri try to make some moves, freshen up this squad a bit. He's been unable to so far. Paredes hasn't arrived from PSG. They tried to move on Rabio. He's still stuck with him there. Uh, and it kind of feels like they're going to be relying on Vlaovic's brilliance, kind of like Fiorentina were before he moved there. And obviously Juve have, you know, quality injured players like Chiesa to come back, but it's, it's almost like, you know, this Juve side feel like they're going to be sort of hamstrung for at least quarter of the of the season before they have like their full repertoire of, uh, of talent available to Allegri. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and obviously the Pogba injury and just the rotation of the squad. And maybe it's just me looking into it too much. Uh, but it feels like Juventus have sort of settled into being a team that competes for 
uh, a Scudetto. Not that the team, if you look at the rosters past, they were way out in front of everybody, right? In terms of the quality they had in every position, the depth in every position. And it felt like uh, Serie A automatic, Champions League is the goal type of thing that you see in terms of the roster that they had built. But now, while they've got depth, while they've got quality, like you said, it seems like Vlahovic is going to be the one that has to carry them if they want to even win the league, let alone, you know, what their chances are, uh, you know, uh, in other competitions. So I, I agree with you. Uh, or at least I feel that this is a team that is going to struggle to keep pace uh, all year long because there's there is multiple teams now that have lifted their levels, and then they're a team that I just don't see where everything is going to come from in terms of um, in terms of uh, in terms of getting results consistently across an entire season. No, absolutely, and I think that uh, you know Allegri is. I mean, I I can see things getting a bit tough uh, in the next couple of weeks. Don't think it's the easiest Champions League group that they've been drawn into, obviously with PSG, but also with Benfica, Maccabi Haifa. You know, none of those games are going to be easy on the road. Uh, home form is going to be absolutely key. And Allegri, you know, he wasn't even hiding when he was asked about it in one of his press conferences the other day. He's saying that, you know, their qualification is going to play out against Benfica. It's not going to play out against PSG. And I think that is that illustrates exactly what you were, were saying just then, like Juve have settled into this sort of being one of the chasing pack now, as opposed to being the team that sort of sets the pace uh, domestically. And I think that might be sort of a, a longer term worry uh, for, for Juve. Yeah. And obviously uh, for, for uh, on the Roma front, uh, adding Andrea Belotti to the team certainly adds more firepower to them and their ambition uh, of 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 being more competitive or trying to you know compete for for a spot at the top of the table in Syria. So it'll be interesting to see where he actually fits into uh, into the lineup with Tammy Abraham continuing to score goals for the club. Is there? Do you have any thoughts on on this signing and where he could fit into the overall landscape? Yeah, I mean, I was curious to see where he would end up because uh, obviously we've known that he was leaving Torino for a while. There was some speculation that he might go to Major League Soccer, uh, especially with uh, Torino, uh, Toronto's push for like uh, almost like an Italification of the of, of the squad. But then there were some rumors about Monaco, uh, you know, and then ultimately, uh, you know, it emerges that that Roma was the the best destination for him. Mourinho, uh, you know, is convinced that that he can get. Uh, you know, a tune out of him consistently. And, you know, it feels like a, a good fit and perhaps having that established sort of, you know, I, I guess guaranteed 10 to 15 goal striker, you know, that could really help to to boost this Roma side because, you know, it hasn't been the most prolific of starts to the season for Tammy Abraham as, as great a talent as he is. And I think, you know, this kind of move, especially given that it's on a free transfer, you know, takes a bit of the, the weight of expectation off of the likes of Abraham and perhaps frees them up. And then also, you know, it's going to allow, uh, you know, Dybala a, a little bit more freedom and a bit less pressure as well to, to start delivering. Well, as a reminder for, for anybody that's listening to this in audio form, we are recording this at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time on a Sunday. So there are still matches to be played, including the Spurs uh, Forest match. We've got Barcelona and Real Madrid still to, to be played. And then in, in the Italian league, uh, Atalanta, Napoli still looking uh, to kick off their matches. So uh, if, if you don't hear about it, it's because of the time in which we are recording this uh, this uh, podcast. Now, JJ, let's talk about the Holland uh, uh, hat trick. I mean, an unbelievable turnaround. I was, I, you know, for from from an American standpoint, all I was watching is Chris Richards getting put in in the 56 minute, being up to one, and then all of a sudden it all crumbling and saying, this is definitely <laughs> going to fall on us. But in terms of the, his output, right, and the fact that you're now playing with a traditional or true number nine, whatever he is, he's a machine, but like a, a different type of, of striker within Manchester City, 
now finding their way back into it from from two nil down to, to to coming back and and through a Holland uh, Holland hat trick. You know, unbelievable performance from him and starting to see that form continue to increase. Do you think that we're seeing just the beginnings of what Manchester City could be with him at, 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 up top? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was inevitable at some point that there would be this kind of introduction to, to Premier League life for Erling Haaland. Uh, it didn't really surprise me that it came about sort of in the way that it did. Um, you know, Palace sort of falling foul to something similar to, that happened, uh, you know, to Villa at the end of last season when City, uh, you know, sewed up the title. You know, a team goes to Manchester takes a surprise two goal lead and then it all kind of falls away because at the end of the day, you know, City, they're, they're almost like the best team in the game. Uh, you know, when they get into that kind of situation, you know, 2-0 is such a dangerous lead for teams like your Villas, like your Palaces, when you're against a, a team like City because when they turn it on, they can just suddenly blow you away. And I think now you've added Haaland to that mix. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, the only the only thing that I, I guess I do wonder is sort of how Haaland, uh, you know, places City sort of in terms of like the bigger picture of the season. You know, is he the player that sort of gets them that little bit further? We saw them fall just short in the Champions League last season. You know, is Haaland the guy that sort of bridges that gap that they've needed to fill, uh, you know, in order to get the Champions League success that they crave? And, you know, it certainly seems like it's going to be the the beginning of a, a fruitful relationship for him, City and, and Guardiola. But, you know, is Pep going to, perhaps tinker you know I don't know maybe try and turn uh turn Haaland into some marauding defensive box-to-box midfielder because he's got those cyborg-like uh, qualities no I'm joking about that but uh I I do think that Haaland really does have the the potential to really make City you know this finally this complete machine that we've kind of thought they were for the last couple of seasons and then being proved wrong sort of at the business end of like the Champions League in particular I don't know how you feel about Haaland sort of completing that vision for for this Guardiola City side. Yeah, I mean it's it's an unbelievable addition, and you talk about it, over a season, like you said, uh, like last year against against Villa, just similar to, to 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 this year against against Crystal Palace. Just the way the team can wake up and become unstoppable. Yeah, in a knockout competition, sometimes it just comes down to one 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 or two matches that could be the difference. And now Holland being another difference maker. We know they have players that can score and they can win even in bad performances, but now he gives them a little more verticality, which I think is a threat that allows probably more players to, to have a little bit more space or him to be the difference of, of like you said, just that next step that could take them to um, the next level or be, you know, just dynamic in a way that they haven't uh, in, in, in ways past where on a bad day, teams can actually find ways to, to, to take points away from them. Now, just as a, a, a quick correction for me, uh, as I talked about in, in Syria, uh, Napoli are only two games in and are still p- perfect after two games. I was looking at the top sort of 10 teams in the table and and saw that, you know, there was nobody perfect on those points. But there were still teams uh, with matches left to be played. And uh, Harry Kane goal alert, uh, by the way, for anybody that's uh, watching this live, uh, Harry Kane continues uh, his tear. Now, Bayern. Let's uh, let's talk about Bayern Munich, who are showing that they're mortal. You know, uh, again, I, I go into the theme every year of like, oh, Bayern aren't as good as they were the year before. And then they just batter a few teams early on or they just look in control. But this one's a little bit unique. Um, they draw uh, Mönchengladbach 1-1 uh, in Bayern. Huge result for Gladbach. But if you look at the actual statistics, I think it was 20-something shots in the game. Jan Sommer made ni- – uh, it was 20 shots on frame. Jan Sommer set a record uh, of saves in the match, which was at 19, which is absolutely insane, showing that, again, 
uh, Bayern who controlled everything. I, I listened to, to a lot of the sort of post-game press conferences and stuff, and they were sort of laughing at the idea of like, no, nah, we're going to continue to play the way that we played. We completely dominated this game. Yes, we could have been more clinical, but like at 20 shots on frame, Jan Sommer being forced to make 19 of those, the 25th shot of the game being the first goal uh, for, for or the only goal for Bayern uh, from, from Leroy Sané. I mean, what is your overall t- take in terms of uh, not necessarily this match, but where Bayern are at this point in the season? I mean, I think Bayern are in a good position. Uh, you know, their summer transfer window, I think, has been very, very good. Uh, you know, I think they're in a much healthier spot now than they were uh, last season when there were there were legitimate questions about them and sort of where they might be headed. Uh, I think that Bayern have started the season in, you know, in very good form with a lot of momentum. Uh, and I don't really think that the Gladbach result changes anything. If anything, you know, we know that Jan Sommer is a is a quality goalkeeper on his day, and sometimes you just have one of these like blinding performances where a goalkeeper keeps a, a team out sort of almost single handed. I've seen Mimo Ochoa do it a couple of times over the years while he was playing in France with Ajax. You know, sometimes a goalie is just inspired, manages to get a hand to pretty much everything, and it takes something special to beat them. Uh, I don't think it makes you know Bayern's performance you know any less impressive you know to create that many opportunities on goal certainly shows that they are heading the right way this season uh you know and they were going to be at some teams that come up against them and really really struggle i mean i think they've got a fantastic champions league draw i'm really keen to see how they duke it out with uh with barca uh and you know i think as well it's it you know this gladback side they had a lot of quality. They were disappointing last season, but they set the bar so high the year before that with that Champions League run that they enjoyed. And I think it took a while for them to sort of digest that, to move on from that. Uh, you know, and now some of those players are coming back into a bit of form. They always had the potential to be a quality outfit. Uh, you know, so it doesn't surprise me to see them running, you know, a team like Bayern fairly close, despite the fact that they did have to majorly rely on Sommer, uh, you know, in form like that. So I don't know how you feel about it, but I I wouldn't be too worried about it from a Bayern point of view. Uh, you know, I think some days you're going to, you know, stick seven goals past a team like they did Bochum the, the week before. Sometimes it's just not going to go in. I don't think this should be setting any alarm bells ringing in Bavaria. Yeah, I agree. And and when again, when I listened to the press conference, they were laughing at this idea of like this co- constant comparison of like, has the team evolved their style of play uh, with, with Mane there instead of Lewandowski? And they're like, Lewandowski wasn't just a target forward for us. He did so many other things that people just want to put him in this box and compare it to a new false nine type of uh, narrative. But they weren't buying any of this sort of uh, the the us poking and prodding from the media side of like, how is this team different? They're like, we should have, we should have won this game. We're in cruise control. We're playing in, we're playing great football right now. Uh, you know, I would, I would stay on the Bayern Munich conversation, but uh, fortunately uh, because I've stepped in uh, to, to, to uh, replace LME uh, for, for this episode, our producer Des has, has honored me with an ability to talk about Arsenal here towards the end of the show. So I got to ask you, are, you know, as 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 an outsider, but an insider of the game, are Arsenal the real deal? Uh, you know, are, do they have the potential or the quality to keep this up? I mean, they squeaked this one out late in the match, but on one hand, you could criticize it as saying, "Yeah, but the the, the quality of the game wasn't there." But on the other hand, you say this is a team just like any team, similar to to a Manchester City, who late in games can find ways to grind out results, and it's not always going to be perfect. But if you can find ways to to, to win, it's actually a sign. Uh, of, of growth and the ability to stay in matches, even if you're not on your day. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it is, uh, you know, always a sign of great quality if you can win when not necessarily being at your best. But the thing that I've been so impressed with by Arsenal so far this season is there's just so much more coherency to the the squad. I think they've made some very, very smart additions. I mean, some of them are no-brainers. I mean, like giving Saliba a chance finally in defence, you know, that has changed things massively, uh, you know, for, for Arsenal at the back. Uh, and I think that, you know, the the team now looks primed, uh, you know, to really perform the the way that Arteta has been preaching for the last couple of seasons. And, you know, they're finally, uh, you know, ready to, you know, to to sort of live up to the the expectations that are being set down for them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they are going to be one of the the top sides to to watch and, you know, perhaps to beat this season in the in the Premier League. I don't think that I'm not necessarily saying here and now they're going to be challenging for the title. But, uh, you know, I do think they now have the quality certainly to be, you know, sort of properly established there in the in the top four. Yes, it's early days, but, you know, I think that the the evolution um, in this Arsenal side has been quite clear to chart over some time. And, you know, I think it's finally, you know, starting to to bear fruit now. And uh, I, I think it's it must be a really exciting time to, to be an Arsenal fan, you know. And also, you know, I, I think with the result against Fulham, Fulham look better than they have been in recent years when they've sort of been yo-yoing between the Premier League and the Championship. So, you know, I don't think there's any shame necessarily in it only being a, a one goal winning margin. Yeah, and, and on that Fulham note, and we'll leave the Arsenal talk in, in, in the rear view for now. How, you know, just in, in, in your take, we, you, you look at a Fulham, they defended, they, they defended for so long, you know, uh, in these matches and never seems like a, a recipe for success when you have to defend long periods. Obviously, the style of play and the team that they have, the speed that they have, they have to be able to sit deeper for long periods of the game. But so how important is it for a lot of these teams? You, you know, you talked about Villa, you talked about West Ham, but when you look at the bottom of towards the bottom of the table where you have your Leicester cities, uh, you know, you've got uh, big name teams sitting at the bottom. How important is it for these teams, whether whether recently promoted or not, to, to get those early points to sort of try to you know, knowing that some of these bigger names towards the bottom of the table are eventually going to find their form and clear themselves at the bottom of the table? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why I was so irritated about Villa losing to West Ham earlier, because if you watched, you know, West Ham were que- clearly sort of still trying to find their feet. Uh, I mean, we know that they have a lot of quality in their squad. It was just a matter of time before they found form. But, you know, when you're a team like Villa and you're supposedly aspiring to sort of like European qualification, you know, you have to take your opportunities against a team, you know, almost kind of kick them when they're down, so to speak. Uh, You know, and I think when teams cannot be that ruthless or don't have that streak in them uh you know then you're going to get punished in the in the premier league because at the end of the day that that qu- that quality will ultimately tell whether or not a team is putting the performance in uh, or not you know so i think west ham now sort of i'm not going to say fluking the the win because uh, you know villa weren't brilliant uh, i do feel it was a, a wasted opportunity but that is the kind of game that illustrates you know why you have to take the opportunity while teams are out of form while they're still finding their feet because it is going to be a very difficult and unforgiving Premier League season I feel and uh, you know I'd, I'd feel more confident for a team like a Fulham who have been able to to you know go toe-to-toe uh, with Arsenal overnight for the most part of 90 minutes than for Villa who you know were unable to to take that opportunity to beat a, a weakened West Ham side so yeah I mean I think there's a lot of teams who will be looking at some of these bigger sides sort of down the table just thinking it's inevitable it's a it's a question of time uh, you know when they start to, to pick up form and, and get back on song so uh, no taking taking it back to Arsenal I you know I do think that Arsenal are going to be one of the the pace setters this season and I don't 
don't think it's something that's just going to fizzle out, uh, you know, after the first couple of months of the season. I don't know how you feel about it, but you must, I mean, you must feel, feel pretty satisfied right now with the way that the team is performing. Yeah, and it's ultimately, like you said, baby steps, right? That, like Being a Champions League contender year in and year out in the Premier League is an actual thing, right, to, to, to be competitive in that spot. And I think Arsenal have been very short of that, but getting closer and closer. That next step becomes a top four challenger. There's obviously becoming six, seven teams now that, that are challenging for uh, a, a, a top four. So that is the next step. And then, then you can talk about what a, what a title looks like right now. But there's some much better teams still in the Premier League you got to get past now. Quick word on on Real Batiste, uh, similar to Arsenal, overperforming probably expectations at the start of the season, perfect after three games in La Liga. Do you think they're the real deal in terms of their ability to 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 sit towards the top, knowing that you know you're going through an evolution with with Barcelona on one end, and then you've got your Real Madrid, who seem to always figure it out, but but uh, you know an aging roster. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, I, I said last season, I think that Betis are close to being the real deal. I mean, we saw them pushing for glory on multiple fronts. You know, they had a good run uh, in Europe. You know, they obviously went all the way in the Copa del Rey, and they fell just short of Champions League qualification in La Liga. I think the stars are aligning for Betis uh, to have a crack at the top four. Uh, I think they do have the quality. And when you've got a player like Borja Iglesias, who's on form, uh, you know, scoring as consistently as he is at the moment, that's always going to stand you in good stead. Uh, you know, and I think if Betis can sort of, you know, sort out one or two or iron out one or two issues within their squad between now and the end of the transfer window, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that they are well set. My only fear for them is sort of like one or two injuries to key guys. You know, Canales is is quite a, a fragile player, but, you know, fantastic on his day when he's fit. Nabil Fekir as well. Like an injury to one or two of those guys can be quite difficult for Betis to overcome, especially if it's sort of a, a, a medium to long-term injury. So, you know, squad depth could be their undoing at some point but as long as everyone is fit and healthy I certainly think that Betis you know definitely have a shot at Champions League qualification uh, and I don't know maybe even you know having a crack at European glory as well because they weren't actually that far off it uh, last season I just feel that they ultimately fell short because they were spread too thinly uh, across multiple competitions but fingers crossed uh, you know they can keep this form up because obviously as a, a Betico at heart I'm, uh, I'm delighted to see them doing so well. Amazing. Well, depth is certainly going to be an issue, especially in a year like this, convoluted with with cups and and World Cups and all those types of things. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts. JJ, uh, where are you head this evening? And do you have any final thoughts of of any matches uh, around the globe that that perhaps we didn't touch on? Yeah, so I'm heading to Parc des Princes for PSG Monaco. I'm sure I'll recap it with the guys uh, next week at some point when I'm next on the pod. But no, I mean, it's obviously, uh, you know, one of the more prestigious games in uh, in Ligue 1, so one I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to. But no, I mean, it's just funny how there are so many of these high-scoring matches cropping up at the moment. You know, we saw Bayern thrashing Bochum. Uh, you've got Liverpool, you've got Celtic this weekend. Uh, and then you've had Montpellier winning 7-0 away at Brest in Ligue 1 today. It kind of feels like, I don't know, maybe there's something in the water uh, over here in Europe. There just seems to be a lot more sort of high-scoring games. Uh, it's a little know, more like a tennis match, out. you know, where you can't win every point. Sometimes you just got to let, <laughs> you know, give up a game, recover, just, just shut it down, you know. It's a long mm. year. People are just like, ah. Let's take the loss. 
you know, we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, it's just it's surprising to see so many of them clustered together. It's almost like every time there's a game week where we're kind of talking about one team, you know, kind of having their ass absolutely handed to them by somebody else. It's and, wild. Uh, today it's wild. it was breast. <laughs> and and you know, I've been in a, I've been in probably the biggest uh, two thrashings. One uh, against Kaiser Slaughter, and I got sent off. So the team actually got thrashed after I got sent off. It was real tight then uh, until I got the sending off. But that feeling you get, <laughs> and then also in a national team. Uh, in a national team jersey, getting a real beating in, in a Gold Cup final by Mexico, those hurt. When you lose by that much, it's pride, it's it's embarrassment, it's all of those things. You rarely ever uh, see this. I mean, we just saw we just saw LAFC, the top team in the league, start with Gareth Bale and Carlos Vela up top, get uh, take a real beating as well uh, from from Austin FC, not by the, a massive scoreline, but you know, really seeing some of these things happen that you don't expect. It's almost, I don't know if it's a style of play thing or teams sticking to their, to their guns or, or whatever, but it certainly seems like it, uh, it, it, it's pouring goals right now across the globe and, and certainly something to talk about every single week. Yeah, and uh, I don't think Scott Parker got that memo, uh, judging by his comments after Bournemouth getting uh, taken apart by Liverpool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, some some managers, I think it would be ringing the alarm bells for. I mean, I know that some people feel like, yeah, he, uh, he perhaps should have been more concerned with the way that his team performed. But, you know, maybe it's just indicative of the, the gulf of inequality between some of these sides, especially like a Liverpool who we were just you know, waiting for them to wake up, really. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen... We are going to wrap up this podcast. And uh, as a reminder, uh, tomorrow on In Soccer With Trust, we'll be recapping the weekend from a U.S. men's national team roster perspective. So make sure you tune in to that one. Uh, and uh, that's it. And thank you so much, by the way, for listening to Kegel So please take a minute. You know, it means a lot. Leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're also available as videos. So, so subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, make sure you visit YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe, make sure you have those notifications on so you can make sure you get every single one of these videos either in live or uh, uh, not live forms. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan Johnson. All the best getting to Park the Princess. All the best for PSG against Monaco. Thank you so much to our producer, Des Norris. And until next time, peace out from us.